okay. What do you want me to say? Hello. Welcome to the front porch. Hello. It's Brian. That's me. That's Lauren over there. Yep. The other voice that doesn't sound like me. We're here Mm -hmm. in the studio on a nice day. Yeah, we just talked to Robert earlier. Mm, Yeah, that was pretty fun. What did we talk about again? Uh, I think we talked about his Navy career before he got here. Oh, yes. And he was also like one of the first people in our essentials team. So we learned about a little bit of the history of Essentials. Is that why Essentials' color is blue? Because he was in the Navy? Maybe. 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 Hmm. I don't think we discovered that <laughs> during it all. No. I have to ask him next time That's, I see him. You should not quote that as a fact. No. <laughs> uh, what else did we talk about? He likes English. The language or the subject or the... Not the people. Food? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the language, yes. He studied it in uh, school. Yeah. I think you and basically he reads a lot taught of stuff. for a little bit. He does read a lot. I felt very uneducated <laughs> talking to him and just, um, or maybe not uneducated. That's like, has a negative connotation. <laughs> he did not <laughs> give off a negative connotation for people who don't read as much as him at all, but uh, encouraged me to read more. Yeah, when he's talking about reading like five books at a time, I'm like, very confusing, sir. I struggle with reading one <laughs> at a time. <laughs> but yeah, I was thinking about that. Like I have listened to two audiobooks at the same time. Like if I get bored of one, I'll switch to the other. But I've realized that if I don't have like a male voice talking and a female voice talking, I think it's the same book. Like I can't distinguish between the two. doesn't matter if there's different accents or totally different topics. I need to have, like, very distinguished, like, this is one book, this is the other book in my mind. Anywho. What if, like, an English, yeah, it, it wouldn't work to have Andrew versus Thomas. <laughs> uh, nope, they're all the same. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's fair. Um, let's see. I think we also talked a little bit about. We you, you reached the end of my list as far as <laughs> we talked about. The other things we have to talk about. Oh. International conference. We have to encourage people to go to it because it's going to be so fun. Go to it. It'll be fun. Yes. Visit conference.pointofrontal.com and register. Could they also go to pointofrontal.com forward slash conference? Probably. I don't know if that works, but you could try it. Yeah. Or you could just go to our website and then find the thing that says international conference and Mm -hmm. go there. Um, What can they expect at the international conference this year? Uh, Learning, fun. it's going to be in Arlington, so oh, yeah. we'll be exploring a new area. That should be cool. Yeah. I've actually seen the area quite a few times. I'm from there. I like it a lot. <laughs> um, let's see. What else? I think, uh, don't we have awards that we're giving away this year? Yes. Just the like Epic Awards year? are back. Yay! I would like for uh, people to actually make some effort to win them. So if you go... <laughs> To, well, Just try, I, I feel like people didn't want, people weren't making that effort to uh, enter themselves in the awards because COVID uh, and there's a whole bunch of stuff shutting down. Sure. They are back for real this year. So it'd be nice to have people go to, again, conference.pointofrontal.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to know the stories about people that had like really cool events or a really cool construction mm-hmm. project or have done something uh, innovative for their employees or there, there's five different, event. yeah, community outreach. There's, there's five different categories. You would think I would know them all since I came up with them, but no, not, not a chance. <laughs> but you, they can find it all on the website, right? Yes. Okay. And it's free to enter, so it's pretty silly not to. What do they win besides recognition and fame in the point of rental world? They get like a trophy, and there's definitely a gift card that's worth mm, some hundreds some money. of dollars. Ooh, okay. Yeah. That's better, cool. Better than a poke in the eye with a sharp stick, as my dad would say. Oh, a little bit better, <laughs> yes. yes. Um, and I guess if we ever had like a point of rental parade as big as Mardi Gras, we might invite them to sit on top of a float. Yes. But yes. we don't have that, so <laughs> yet. <laughs> but you still won't get poked in the eye with a sharp stick. So that's mm. something. But we cannot guarantee that. <laughs> There's risk involved <laughs> in everything. <laughs> I, I will not poke you in the eye with a sharp stick. <laughs> uh, okay. And I vow to not intentionally poke you in the yeah. eye with a star- sharp stick. She might have a sharp stick, and then once she has that, then... (laughs) Who knows what will happen. exactly. 
Also, I do want to mention before we get into other things, um, get into actually talking with Robert, you know, the whole reason for this. Um, I do want to mention that we're going to be going back to having some ads in episodes sometimes. <gasps> you you and I recorded some of those earlier. Oh, yes, um, I remember that. I just want to remind people that we we just do these for fun and hopefully people's entertainment. We, we're not trying to monetize them or anything. So hopefully you enjoy our pretend ads like we're a real um, podcast. <laughs> We're not professionals in a, by any <laughs> means of the word. Well, technically the ads are real since we are advertising our international conference. Yeah. But, you know. We don't make a profit from it. Yeah. We get paid the same either way. Yeah. It's fun. Anywho, uh, let's talk to Robert. Good idea. Welcome to the front porch. With Lauren Mohorn. I'd like to welcome today's guest and Essentials Director of Software Development, Robert Flock. Flock, right? Mm -hmm. Correct? All right. Robert, welcome to Front Porch. Thank you very much. Good to be here. Yeah. All right. Let's start with the basics. Who are you? Where are you from? And what's the worst food you've ever had to eat in order to be polite? Mm, Okay. Well, I grew up here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Um spent some time in the Navy, and then came back here to Dallas to raise my family with all of my extended family around. Um, so that's me. Um, the worst food I've ever had to pretend to like. Uh, I would have to say that I'm a pretty uh, flexible eater. There are foods that I enjoy less than other foods. Probably my least favorite food is liver and onions, Mm -hmm. uh, which my mother loves. So it was a growing up about once a month tragedy when uh, liver and onions was on the uh, menu. (laughs) But uh, but that's probably that's probably the closest I come because most of the time, you know, I just I, I enjoy trying new foods and, you know, whether it's, you know, caviar, fish, you know, cow brains and scrambled eggs, you know, I will try it, you know, ceviches and, you know. Are these all foods that you're trying at home? Like, is your family making them? Are you making cow brains and scrambled eggs occasionally? Or is this, we when are definitely, you having these? <laughs> yeah, we uh, generally out at restaurants. So that's okay. my wife and I's go-to date is to go to sort of, you Just know, white cloth restaurant. restaurants yeah. that have, you know, composed dishes where we can really, you know, try new things, Mm -hmm. and and that's what we do. Um, But we definitely also uh, have a variety of food at home as well, and we like to cook, and my daughter loves to bake. and uh, That's fun. So we we try lots of different things at home Mm -hmm. as well and try to give our kids a broad palate, no pizza and chicken nuggets only. Oh, (laughs) man. (laughs) Yeah, I can relate about the the liver and onions thing. Ben, uh, my husband, has recently... You know Ben. He's like your direct report. Um, he has been trying out liver and beef meatballs recently because he's like, we need to have more liver. It's really good and vitamins. And I'm like, okay, yeah, all right, thanks. Let's have spinach instead. <laughs> yeah, Some that sounds much better. Beautiful sautéed butter spinach. Mm-hmm. You'll get those same. The and same you'll get Popeye arms. Stuff. It'll exactly. be great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. Um, well, let's. Unless you had any other questions. All right. Let's move on to Robert's job history and what you're doing right now. So um, what do you want to be when you were a kid, say ages 8 to 10 or so? Uh, well, I think my, my real career goal as at that age was I wanted to be a hermit. I, I felt like that was, you know, that was the ideal life for me on a mountain, no neighbors, you know, reading preferably, maybe with a, a big library. I okay. really had no concept of, oh, but you also have to somehow pay for that life and that those right. books. Uh-huh. So, and maybe some human interaction might be good for no, the soul. No, no, no okay. No. I was, that was that was the appeal. Was the no human ah, interaction? Ah, okay, yes. gotcha. So I uh, I learned in the navy later how to interact with people. Uh-huh. That was really uh, that was my my real experience of becoming, you know, not a people person, but able to you know sort of flip a switch and be extrovert for a little bit. Sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have a note on here that Brian. Um, would guess that you would be a professional wooden shoe carver. Did that ever cross your mind? Uh, no, not professional wooden shoe carver. I, I do have a shoe collection that... Uh, uh, of wooden shoes? Or? But not wooden shoes. Okay. No, not a single wooden shoe mm-hmm. in the collection. Okay. Uh-huh. 
Maybe we'll I have, have a wooden bow tie, but no wooden shoes. Interesting. Is yeah. this when you whittled yourself, or no, no, when you found just, okay. just <laughs> it was a it was a Christmas gift actually. Uh, I was okay. going to say, where does one acquire a wooden bow tie? <laughs> yeah. No, the same place one acquires a feather bow tie. Oh, that Amazon. is very nice. Mm. <laughs> All right. Um, so, at what point did you decide? Well, maybe I should do something else. Mm. The hermit life is not for me. Well, so I got into computers at a pretty early age, even even at about that time frame. At the same time, on the one hand, oh, I want to be a hermit. You know, on the other hand, I'm starting to program my little TI-99 4A cartridge-based Atari competitor. Mm-hmm. And uh, and when I went to, when I, when I you know, got to, to college age, I, I went to school for uh, EE and CS uh, combo degree. What uh, is EE and CS for uh, the plebeians? Yeah, listening? electrical engineering and computer science. <laughs> okay, gotcha. So, uh, you know, I, wa- I thought I thought I want to make robots, so hmm. I got to be able to build the robots with the electrical engineering and then right. program the robots with the computer science. Mm-hmm. And that was that was you know the the career goal at that age. Mm-hmm. Um, Were these I'm, to build to battle each other or to build to do? Cool robot. Things. It sounds like he has, he's a mad scientist in the making. He's wanting to be a hermit and build a robot army. Oh my goodness! Yes, <laughs> that, that, that that has a lot of appeal. I, in fact, that's still appealing. Hmm. <laughs> uh, but uh, no, uh, I I had lots of you know hopes to get into you know artificial intelligence to the sort of the the robot universal helper kind of thing. I was a science fiction fan from way back, so you know Asimov and his Three Laws of Robotics and uh, you know, uh, just reading that those kinds of things were really what what inspired me to do that. However, uh, my wife and my failing grades in math inspired me to drop out and go into the Navy instead. So I see, <laughs> <laughs> never quite finished that degree. Okay, so you did you went to college for EE and CS? Not I, in my head, I had you as an English professor, basically, or an English route. Is that? Also, something you did, or is so that completely after wrong? I got out of the Navy, uh-huh. uh, I went into the you know software industry, and mm-hmm. uh, and then the dot com bust happened, and uh, when I uh, was jobless, I went back to school, and I went to school for uh. an English. I I looked into going back and doing computer science, and it was like, well. You'll take one class a semester because you have all of your core competencies out of the way, but it's still going to take you four years to get your Gosh. computer science degree <laughs> yep. because of the strict, you know, precedence order mm-hmm. of the of the classes. And so, uh, so I went for a liberal arts degree. I did get my bachelor's in English, and then I was working on my master's in English. And at that point, uh, UTA, which is my alma mater, um, had a program whereby uh, grad teaching assistants actually got to teach freshman English independently. And so I had about a year and a half of teaching freshman English. So, yep. Mm, Okay. English professor. That's exactly. Okay. uh, There you go. You were not wrong. All right. So do you remember any of the books that you were teaching or did they change every year? They changed every year. Um, We got to design our own curriculum. Oh, sweet. Um, So, you know, but uh, the the courses were – Composition for the for the first semester freshman English, and then argumentation for the second semester okay. freshman English at UTA at that time. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the two subjects that I was teaching: mm-hmm. how to write a persuasive argument, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. So how did you end up going from that to now finding yourself back to being the director of d- development here? So I, I still I had very much enjoyed my career as a software engineer. And uh, what I found during the dot-com crash was just that I couldn't get my resume in front of a hiring manager to see my experience. Sure. And, I, you know, I knew I could get a job if I was in front of a hiring manager, but I was mm-hmm. getting dropped off at the recruiter level right. where they went, oh, no degree, this job requires a degree. Yes. And so uh, once I had the bachelor's under my belt and we had a third kid on the way, um, it was, you know, time to be on the job hunt again. And I wasn't really looking to get a job in my degree field, Hmm. that was a fallback. Like if I can't get a job in computer science or in software engineering, then I'll, you know, teach English. You'll still enjoy it. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. and that will be fun. I love that. I write. I'm a poet. Uh, That, you know, that is my uh, passion. Okay. Um, Are you a poet, like a slam poet where you can just um, do it off the top of the cuff? No, no rap. No, no no slam poetry. (laughs) I, I write 
you know, composed verses that ta- I agonize over for uh, weeks. Okay. You know, I'm I'm the tortured poet. It's <laughs> like, ah, another word on the page. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> Uh, yes, it does not come easily, but I do do love to write. Sweet. And so, yeah, it was it was great as a fallback. But I, I, I knew that I was going to, you know, if I could come back to computer science. And right. so that's what that I robot did. army is still looming still on your future. Still in the vision. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Amazing. OK, um, let me check where are we at. Oh, so how did you find your way to Pointer Rental? Uh, so uh, I actually followed my boss. So, you know, you you. People say, you know, out there in the internet and whatnot, and and research says that people mostly leave jobs or stay at jobs, not because of the overall job environment, not because of the work they're doing, but because of their manager. Hmm. And that was true for me. So Evan Fort was my boss at HR Smart. He was the chief technology officer, and I was the uh, VP of software development. Hmm. And uh, so I reported directly to him. And, and I had, we had both moved up the ranks. I started as a junior developer at HR Smart. I had took a job that was actually lower than what my current skill level was there because I needed a job because we had a kid on the way. And right. I was like, I'll take it. Just, uh-huh. you know, promise me you'll promote me when you have the room and mm-hmm. I will take this job. Yes. And uh, so, uh, but so we had both moved up through, uh, through the ranks at HR Smart together. And uh, uh, so anyway, he... He left uh, HR Smart to come to come here to, you know, sort of start the essentials software uh, development, and uh, and he recruited me. Uh, technically, I believe he did not recruit me. I found the job. Yeah, I, I found the job. It was posted, and then found out that. He, in fact, had already gotten the job oh. that I had found that I was oh, no. going to apply for at Point of Rental. <laughs> Uh, that, that, you know, that I was applying for, but he, you know, still had a, a position available for mm-hmm. me. And so, yeah, I followed him here. Okay. And that was 2012? 2000, what year was that? Yeah, eight years ago. So... 2014. 14. 14. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So we didn't, Point Rental didn't have cloud products until y'all came around and started writing it, basically. That's that's right. Yeah, we we were hired to build that cloud product hmm. suite from scratch. Had you ever done anything like that before? Um, I actually had. At, at HR Smart, we had, uh, I created the the SaaS software, HR suite of software that, uh, that we sold at HR Smart. So I had started working on an existing product. Now, all of HR Smart's products were already cloud-based. So it was, a, you know, I'd been working on a cloud product, mm-hmm. um, but then we, that cloud product was sort of a, a, you know, again, the sort of the business to business, hard sell, enterprise kind of software, mm-hmm. and and just kind of like what Essentials was initially targeted to be here, they wanted to get that long tail, the smaller businesses that, that couldn't necessarily afford the sales cycle that we were using for that bigger product, nor the price. Uh, so I created the software as a service that you could self-sign up and put in your credit card, and now you've got HR mm-hmm. software and an applicant tracking system and a you know performance management and and all of that kind of stuff for your business. And so, uh, mm-hmm. so I had done that before, and then then came here to do it again. Yeah, that's great. Well, it sounds like it's grown significantly <laughs> um, in that time. So was it just the two of y'all that started on it? Uh, well, so we hired uh, three more developers okay, within the, the same first. Time you know, three months or so. So okay. they, you know, they all have very short uh, anniversary cycles sure. uh, from uh-huh. me. So, um, yeah, but that team, uh, we got the software built in that first year and mm-hmm. and launched in one year with the National Basketball Association as our first client. So it was quite exciting Yeah, to go from zero that. to the NBA is our client yeah, in, uh-huh. in one year. So That's yeah, cool. It was, it was neat. Did y'all, were you the connection with that? You were just like, hold on, let me call up LeBron or something and we'll get this no, sorted out. I don't know. I mean, it, it came through normal channels. Apparently the huh. NBA, you know, basically rents uh, the banners and the basketball goals and the and the 
balls hmm. and trophies and display cases and all kinds of things mm -hmm. uh, to the various teams for various types of publicity events, et cetera. And so that's they were they were doing an, an RFP to you know, request Find for proposals sort of, yeah. to, for software to manage that and and uh, and we picked that up. And then you know since then Essentials has just grown and grown and grown. Now we have REI and Lowe's and Sodamac mm -hmm. and all kinds of you know very very large. Uh, you know, the NBA is no longer the only big name that people will recognize uh -huh. that we can tout as, yeah. a, as a client. So Definitely. And how big is the Essentials team now? Because I understand, like, we've got Essentials development and even Essentials support as well. And I don't know if there's more Essentials people I don't know about yeah, so around the world. I mean, there's product management and there's, uh, you know, four, four folks in product management, two product managers, owners, and uh, and two QA engineers uh, on the product side that uh, report today up to David, um, and then we have about uh, twelve developers right now. We're three short of our uh, complement, so I'm hiring. If you know anyone, anyone <laughs> listening to this knows of a, a developer that would uh, you know be interested in a job at Point of Rental, or even wouldn't tell them about it anyway. <laughs> um, and then, uh, yeah, and I don't know how many in the support department because they're sort of, they're broadening their, their knowledge base. And so there was a, a time at which there was like, oh, well, these two people are, are you know, essential support. But uh, they've been working very hard over in support to give everybody a broad base of training so that anyone in support can answer an essentials question and anyone in support can answer an expert question or an elite question or a syrinx question. So hmm. uh, I think that's you know, grown, but also is less defined in terms of, of who owns it. Yeah. And so during your time as a director, um, what developments are you most proud of, both um, within the software and maybe even non-software related, but just within your team? Yeah. I mean, I definitely think that the thing that I'm most proud of is the team culture that we've developed uh, on the Essentials team, uh, the develop developer-centric process um, in which developers are empowered. Speaking of, uh, you know, epic values of point of oh, rental. Heard that somewhere. <laughs> sneak that in. Uh, but no, it's it's serious. I, you know, I tell uh, new developers coming in when when I'm interviewing them that, you know, point of rental is one of the few places I've worked at where you could probably ask any employee at the company what the company's values are, and they would actually know mm -hmm. because we're actually looking at decisions and evaluating them based on those values on a regular basis. And I know that I do that. Um, but so, you know, developers have a lot of freedom to build something great um, that maybe, you know, product management hadn't thought of or, you know, hadn't didn't quite come in in the specs. So they have a lot of freedom. Um, and that expresses itself in our, you know, annual hackathons. Um, and in our uh, sprint gaps where we have about a three-day period where we're doing most of our meetings to prepare for the next sprint. And during that time, uh, they get the opportunity to work on things that they want to work on on a fairly regular basis and doesn't have to be something that, you know, somebody else thought of. It can be something cool that they thought of for the product. And we've had lots of really great features for Essentials come out of that. Um, in terms of the product itself, I think the, the thing that I'm most proud of is, is our eSign product, which, you know, not only did it uh, empower Essentials customers to have eSignature built into their product and to be able to utilize that and go paperless, but uh, we designed it in such a way that it's a, uh, you know, can be added on and integrated with easily from any other product. And so, you know, both Expert and Syrinx have eSign. Uh, and that's the eSign product that we developed on this team. And so that's, you know, I love the cooperation between the teams, right, that that brings uh, and and building that together. Yeah, no, that's great. I don't know. Do we have many other products that are add-ons to products that connect the teams quite as well? I mean, I know we have our mobile app mm -hmm. as well. Does, is Essentials on the mobile app or is that in the pipeline to be It is, absolutely, yes. Oh, uh, the global API and the and the mobile app are sort of combined. Essentials currently has a legacy mobile app, just kind of like Syrinx mm -hmm. has the legacy mobile app mm -hmm. or mobile apps um, that it has. But uh, we are working toward uh, PR1 integration oh, where we'll, we'll have that together. Um, so there's that. There's also the uh, 
the payment library. So we've we've been working to make payments for all of the systems flow through sort of a a point of rental developed third party uh, or second party. I don't know first party library <laughs> uh, that we're writing ourselves to uh, to write once. And then as we add additional payment processors to be able to add those in and support them. And if, you know, if one, one product needs a new payment processor because they're going into a market, they'll write that integration. And now that payment processor will be available for all products immediately as soon as that, as soon as it goes live. So that's great. That's some exciting stuff on the horizon there. Um, so I do like asking everyone this, so I should probably put it in the five important questions, but I'll ask it here anyways. What is one trait that you believe all successful leaders have? So honestly, I think that probably to me the, the most important trait that all successful leaders have is passion. Hmm. Um, if, if you don't have passion for what you're doing, you can't communicate that passion to your team and you, you're not going to have a team that wants to follow you, right? And uh, so for me, that's the most important thing. There are lots of other things that I think every leader should have. Every leader should be a listener. You have to be able to close your own mouth and listen and listen to, to really hear, you know, that active listening that's engaged, that has, you know, attention being paid, that puts away those distractions. Um, you have to be, you know, able to be organized. Um, you know, you have to be able to plan. But, but for me, the most important thing is that passion. If you have passion for what you're doing, you'll communicate that to your team and they'll be excited about it too. And I know that, you know, I am passionate about what we're developing at Point of Rental. I'm passionate about the circular economy. I'm passionate about rental. And, uh, and I'm passionate about rental essentials and e-sign as products that, that we offer and wanting them to, you know, go places and be the best that they can be. And, you know, I know that my team feels the same way. They are excited to work where we work. Now let's move on to Robert's interesting character questions. Um, okay, this one has a bit of a buildup, so <laughs> okay, give me a second to talk. Um, now for last year's Christmas party, we played a game show a game show called Would I Lie to You? Brian sent out a questionnaire and we learned there are a lot of things about you that people probably wouldn't guess. So let's go through them one by one. Brian, you may have to help me out here. Um, where I'll set you up in a way that makes you seem super suspicious <laughs> and then you can explain um, why this is all just a misunderstanding and we should still trust you. Mm, okay. Um, okay, first let's talk about your childhood. You were a child actor apparently in the TV show Dallas. Um, did you shoot JR first off, um, or do you get residuals from your appearances, or who is the most famous person you know? You don't have to answer all of them. Just Yes, you do have to answer okay, all of them. Okay, Brian, I want you to answer it's all of or, them. It's or, and. <laughs> so, um, no, the I was only in one scene in Dallas. I don't even know which episode it actually is. <laughs> okay. Um, but I, what I remember about it is that uh, I was uh, – pulling a toy boat by a string across one of the fountains in probably Las Colinas, I'm guessing, is where, where it got shot, but I'm, I'm not 100% certain. But uh, my great aunt, uh, Peggy Taylor, ran a talent agency in Dallas and hmm. had, you know, fairly good success. It was a, I mean, it was a successful talent agency. And then my dad was a prop master uh, on... Uh, television shows, commercials, and movies. And so um, I had a, you know, a lot of association there. You know, I'm the kid in the back seat of an M&M commercial. Um, a few different things like that, but nothing that's, uh, you know, a major role or that you can go, oh, I can go look up that video and see, you know. Oh, we'll find, we'll find it. Don't worry. We'll find, like, kid M&M commercial car ride. Yeah. <laughs> we'll find it. This is all back in the very early 80s, late 70s, early 80s time frame mm. when I was in that, you know, five to 10 year mm -hmm. old range. So. So did you know that you were appearing in these? Like, if oh, you, yeah. I mean, okay. No, I was very excited. <laughs> and that craft services table full of all different varieties of M&Ms, which I think uh -huh. was peanut and chocolate at the time. Ooh. Uh, that's mm -hmm. it. <laughs> but, but still, nevertheless, and all the different <laughs> colors, though, and colors were very important to a five-year-old. Yes. You know, it's, uh, oh, that's a green M&M. I like the greens. I like the reds, mm -hmm. whatever color. So, 
did they did you get paid to do this or did they just pay you in the M M&M table? Like you're welcome. No, to do I definitely this. <laughs> did. My parents got you sure. know took care of that, and uh-huh. I mean, I, I'm sure I saw like, that I money. The they M&Ms. paid for so much stuff for me. I know, I know, I got it. I don't, uh-huh. but I don't. You know, I don't remember specifically. I do know that. Uh, uh, you know, I was. Well, at least by the time I was eight, I was saving up for a computer to buy a computer of my own. So hmm. I'm sure some of that money probably went into that savings sure. account to, to do that. Um, That's great. Did yeah. you have any other specific questions? So did you get those jobs because of the talent agency or because your dad was a prop master? Were you a prop or, or, yeah. or were you talent? Mm-hmm. Well, a little bit of both, I think. But uh, so I know that I got the, the uncredited extra child role on Dallas uh, due to the talent agency. So I was was signed up with Peggy Taylor Talent during that period of time. Um, but I'm pretty sure a lot of the commercials, Dad was just like, oh, I've got somebody who can, you know, sit in the back seat for you. And, <laughs> you know, he was working as a prop master on them. But, you know, mm-hmm. people talk. And so he would, you know, sneak me in there that way. Um, and again, there weren't very many. Those are actually the only two that I have distinct memory uh, memories of. Like I, I actually remember being in the car and I remember waiting and standing around the craft services table while they reset for another take of some kind. <laughs> and I remember, you know, pulling the uh, the little boat across the uh, fountain. And uh, but uh, but I know is you know I was in probably you know a dozen more that I don't. Sure. Don't, know, don't have specific memories of Interesting. at the time. Or that you don't want us to be able to Google and find. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Or, or that potentially. I, I will we'll, we'll leave it open uh, for that. Uh, in terms of uh, most famous person I ever met, um, I, didn't, I didn't really meet a lot of famous people on uh, – during that period of time, um, or meet at all. But I will say that, uh, you know, my, my claim to fame is that my dad worked on Robocop, and I was there when they shot the Dick You're Fired scene. And oh. So I got to see that whole, you know, shot, and then he falls out of the window, which is, you know, about three feet off the ground and onto the ground. Don't tell us that. <laughs> <laughs> Lauren, I think we should play a game of Name That City. Oh, New York City. No, I'll, I'll give you a hint. It's the home of the Dallas Cowboys. Dallas! Okay, I can see why you'd shout that, <laughs> but that's not correct. Yeah. Oh. Um, the Cowboys haven't played in Dallas since 1970. So here's your second hit. Okay. It's the home of the Texas, Texas. Rangers. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Damn it. That's a state. <laughs> okay. One final hint. It's the home of Point of Rentals 2022 International Conference. Oh, Arlington, Texas. Wow, you're right. This October 23rd through 26th, Arlington will host Point of Rentals International Conference, and all users can register now at conference.pointofrental.com. How did you know that? I know the important things, Brian. Indeed you do, Lauren. Indeed you do. And because you named that city, you've won a free trip to Arlington for yourself. Congratulations. Uh, But that's where I live. Are you telling me I can go home now? So you got to meet RoboCop then? I did. Or see I him did. from a distance? Well, no, no. I mean, I think I think we did get to go over and say hi. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was <laughs> older. I was young, young teen or middle school ages, preteen, something like mm-hmm. that, when RoboCop came out. Do you want to ask? I was going to say maybe we can get RoboCop on the show. <laughs> No, you kind of. Do you remember oh, the prop master son, <laughs> the assistant prop master? On that one. All right, tell me about the time you spent in prison at Guantanamo Bay. Oh yes, so uh, this was in the Navy, and uh, and it was actually a temporary duty assignment over to Guantanamo Bay during the second wave of the migrant crisis, and so um, it was going to be probably. 96, I think, time frame. Um, end of 95, end of 96, somewhere in there. And I spent about three months um, at Guantanamo Bay. The water is amazing. Um, my job was, uh, you know, building a system that, you know, basically helped to track the migrants, identify them, fingerprint scanning and, and building systems that would, uh, you know, uh, detect when we had a repeat uh 
evacuee who had been returned, and there was a lot of repatriation happening. So it was, you know, you had to have a pretty good case to to make it off the, you know, if you got if you got caught before you made it over to Florida, mm-hmm. you were probably going back to Cuba at the time. So mm-hmm. not my get proudest moment, frankly. I, I kind of sympathize with the Cuban people who wanted to get out of there a lot more, but. Um, you know, but I wasn't a I wasn't a prison guard or anything like that. I was just uh, you know I was just the programmer doing the tracking program. Okay, no more about that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, so while you were serving in the Navy, um, thank you for your service, by the way. Uh, you determined that Mountain Dew was necessary to accomplish missions successfully, and a lack of it would potentially endanger lives. So why? <laughs> And also, did your efforts result in an increase of your Mountain Dew budget? Oh, yeah. So, um, yeah, Mountain Dew was our go-to drink in the Navy. And we, uh, when we were at sea, we, had, we would do 12 on, 12 off. So it was 12-hour it was shifts. But there were many times um, where you would, you know, work through and have a 36-plus, you know, hours that you were working. So uh, the caffeine and the sugar in Mountain Dew were definitely mm-hmm. what kept us grow- going, mm-hmm. you know, along with the Navy coffee that, you know, the spoon will stand up in it. It's that strong, you Yikes. know. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but Mountain Dew, for, for most of us younger younger folks in the in the Navy, that was, that was what we lived on. And we had a situation where one of the ships in our battle group had their uh, maintenance computer go down. And the team that was on board, the, the data processors that were on board, didn't have the expertise to fix it. And so myself and one other, uh, Glenn Harris actually was his name, um, were tasked to go over there. So we took a helicopter from the, uh, it's the only time I, I actually flew in the Navy on a Navy, uh, Navy air vehicle. But so we, we helicoptered over from the aircraft carrier where, where we were to, I think it was a battleship, but I don't remember 100% for sure. Uh, uh, in, but the other ship in the battle group that was, uh, that had the problem and, and we got there and got set up and started troubleshooting the issue with the computer and their soda machine was out of Mountain Dew. And mm. it was, you know, this, this we were very, very upset <laughs> with that. And so when we... We did, we did fix the issue. I actually got a Navy Achievement Medal for that action of, of going over there and fixing that computer for them. Um, but, uh, but when we got back, we wrote up our after-action report, and we actually put in our official report that we sent up the chain that a lack of Mountain Dew when we arrived <laughs> hindered our efforts in repairing the computer. Amazing. Did they, do you, did you ever follow up? Did Mountain Dew get refilled at, <laughs> on that ship or anything? <laughs> I, I don't know if the, if that ship ever got its Mountain Dew refilled, but I, I do know that our lieutenant called us in there and, you know, said, you really want to put this in your report? We were like, it's true. We needed Mountain Dew. We were tired. We would have done better without the Mountain Dew. He's like, okay, I'm going to send it up. And so it, it went into the official report. Amazing. Is there a way you can search that later if you just go into the, I don't know, the Navy's reports? I don't know if people have access to go, that. And just go file a Freedom of Information. Yeah, probably a, yeah. <laughs> a FOIA would probably be able to get it. You'd have to know more than I've given you probably to be able That's to get fair. to it. But, <laughs> it's probably going to have less of a payoff than you <laughs> <laughs> Probably not really that, that worth it. Okay, fair enough. All right. Um, why gymnastics? Um. Well, uh, I played soccer as a three- or four-year-old and, uh, you know, went to my first game and scored a goal for the other team and thought, hmm, mm. maybe an individual sport <laughs> where the rest of the team isn't reliant on me. Mm. So uh, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it okay. in terms of how I got into gymnastics. I sure. was, took a tumbling class at a, at a rec center and really loved it, according to my parents, and so then I... I uh, went into private gymnastics, and eventually I was on the team, trained for three hours a day, six days a week. Um, I competed, but never at never never made it quite up to the you know college elite uh, Olympic type levels. Um, so uh, I think uh, at the time that I was in gymnastics, uh, you started at level five, which was you know kids that you know can barely do a somersault uh, but want to compete. And, uh, and then level one or elite would be the level that uh, 
colleges typically are competing at. Mm -hmm. And then obviously the Olympics is sort of just a, a cut above that, right? Mm. Lots of people compete in college and, and a few people make the Olympics. Um, but so uh, I, I competed at level two when I was 16. Um, and that, that was as far as I ever, I ever got. I took a break for several years um, and, uh, and actually coached gymnastics and was, I think I was 15 and coaching uh, 12-year-olds, 12-year-old <laughs> girls who were coming in for tumbling classes for their cheerleading. And, and I was late to any kind of growth, not that I'm a large man as it is. And uh, these young ladies were very early to their growth. Sure. So I had 12-year-olds <laughs> that were towering like a foot taller than me that uh -huh. I was spotting <laughs> on back handsprings and flips and things like that. Please was, don't fall. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, so is there any particular gymnastic event sport that you participated in or that you were really good at or specialized in? So, no, really. Um, and, and this is uh, sort of a, a misconception that the general public has, but for most gymnasts, you're always an all-around gymnast. All Everyone around. does all of the all of the events. Mm -hmm. um, when you get up into that elite or Olympic level, then you do have you know folks that are I mean whatever they're the best at, that's what they want to put them on for the right. team for the specialization. But mm -hmm. uh, but in every level below that, including college competitions, you pretty much are you're, you're always competing all around. And I was an I was an all-around gymnast. I I liked everything. I you know didn't have one particular uh, event that I, you know, did the best at or, sure. or liked the most. Might have disliked the rings the most. That's the, uh, that's the event mm. that I uh, did a dismount without the uh, crash pad underneath the rings and uh, did, got a hairline fracture of my femur. Ooh. That would make me like it less, I think. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, it was, at least after that point, I began liking it less. Uh. That was sort of the thing that led up to my hiatus from gymnastics. I, I yeah. had a full leg cast for, I think, probably six months. And, uh, that does make gymnastics hard, a full leg cast. Yes. No, there was no <laughs> gymnastics going on during that time. And yeah, I came back very much not in shape either. So. Mm. But you were still able to do, was it a backflip or a back handspring at the Christmas party this year? Just a back handspring at the okay. Christmas party. <laughs> I probably can still do a backflip, but I didn't want to, you know. Yeah, we decided it wouldn't be a great show ender to have <laughs> Robert laid out yeah. at the end of the thing. Broken neck, vertebrae. <laughs> yeah. No, no let's, let's, let's stick with something I'm very, very solid on. Uh -huh. so. <laughs> All right. Um, tell me about your art celebration of your many rejections. Oh, yeah. So um, I said before that I'm a poet. I like to write poetry. And I've been published in several various uh, literary magazines mm -hmm. and, and whatnot. Um, you know, poetry is not something that you get make a living at or get paid for unless you're Maya Angelou or Billy Collins or something, sure. right? You know, you get Poet Laureate of the United States, suddenly your books start selling and you can make a living as a poet. But mm -hmm. in general, no. Um, but uh, but uh, when I, uh, for my graduation, for my bachelor's, um, I, uh, my wife took I asked for it. I said, you know, this is what I want, just to be clear, right? But so she made a collage that had all of my yeah, rejection notices from various literary magazines that I had submitted <laughs> oh poetry gosh. to, right? And just a whole collage of all of the rejections. And then another collage of my acceptances. Okay. You know. Even but, though. <laughs> but the, the, the rejections, I mean, I really, I like that because... You know, it's about the persistence and it's about you keep on trying and you keep on submitting and you keep on going and that's mm -hmm. how you get published. And, mm -hmm. uh, and you know, I got probably 20 at least rejections before I got my first acceptance mm -hmm. of the poem. So. Do you still continue to add to that to this day? Like keep putting up, here's an rejection, here's an acceptance. No, I, I have those original ones. And I, I mean, I still keep getting rejections for sure. But <laughs> <laughs> but I don't, I am not collaging them or collecting them okay. anymore. I've, I've got that memory and that memento sure. of these, this is, this is what you do. You get the rejections. Mm -hmm. Those are an accomplishment. Mm -hmm. Those, you know, they are an accomplishment it's also. It's you moving forward. Mm -hmm. 
Exactly. Hmm. Um, do you have a general theme to your poems or short stories, or are they just kind of whatever you're feeling at that time? So um, I would classify myself as a new formalist, which means that I'm writing traditional form poems with meter and, and potentially even rhyme, um, sonnets and villanelles and things like that. Um, but in terms of themes, no, I take my, take my inspiration from wherever it comes, from life, from nature. Um, I do have a chapbook of poetry that I self-published, um, and it has sort of, uh, it's called uh, Thalia and Irito, and so it's sort of nature, Thalia being the god of nature, and Irito, and I'll leave you to guess what uh, he is the god of, but mm-hmm. uh, so those are sort <laughs> of the themes in that uh, in that chapbook, but, uh, but it spans the Spans the gamut. And then in terms of short stories and, uh, and fiction, um, I have a, a series of children's books that I am shopping uh, <laughs> to publishers. No success yet on that, but they were uh, stories that I told my daughter uh, hmm. as when she was really young, as she was growing up. So she would, her name is Abigail, so they are Princess Abigail. And so there's Princess Abigail and the dragon and Princess Abigail and the sea serpent. And she generally finds creative ways that don't involve just slaying to solve her problems. (laughs) So Very cool. Well, it sounds like you've gotten close to your 20 rejections or whatever on it. So the next one. (laughs) Maybe so. (laughs) Might be it. All right. So I think you founded Pointer Reynolds Book Club. How's that going? Um, so we've sort of, it's been a come and go kind of thing. Um, we have it mostly uh, online now, just a place on Workplace for people to share the books that they're reading and enjoying and, you know, maybe give a little review here and there or a recommendation to other people. Um, we have occasionally met in person or virtually to have sort of discussions in a more traditional book club format. Um, and we may go back to that if interest, you know, if enough interest is expressed. But it, you know, it comes and goes with how busy I am as to whether or not I get things right. organized to do the in-person part. Um, but I definitely encourage everyone to to check out the uh, book club group on Workplace, and it's an open group. People can join it and share their, you know, book that they're currently reading. And there's lots of great suggestions in there for people. Yeah, great. Well, while we have you here and we've got time, what um, are your top five books that you've read in the past year, starting in 2021 um, up till now, top five books you've read? Okay. Um, I would say that they definitely are not all published in the 2021-2022 time frame, but um, a few recommendations. So um, Jenny Lawson's memoirs, um, uh, Let's pretend this never happened. There, that's the, one of the titles. Let's pretend this never happened. So, so, my brain will, you were saying, will give me this title. This. <laughs> I give you. I've given you the author. What What is the title? Um, but they are hilarious. Laugh out loud, funny, and you will be embarrassed about what you're laughing about because uh, she's. You know, she talks with real poignancy about mental health, and at the same time mm-hmm. makes you laugh. And but they're really wonderful books. Um, uh, I also want to. Did I bring my phone with me? I didn't. I should have. I should have brought my phone so I could look these up. I was gonna say. I feel like yeah. When, once you said that you didn't look that closely at all of them, it's like oh, you have the top five list. You, okay. It's gonna be a tough so one for okay. you. I, I've, I've got. I've got. I've got more. I, I've. I've read so many. Um. So I really loved uh, Little Fuzzy. It's an okay. older. Uh, older book. Uh, published in I think either the late 70s or early 80s um, but I it was very new to me um, it's a first contact type novel um, but very very interesting um, politically and and speaks a lot to current issues in a way that I think is very sensitive and and mm-hmm. pretty impressive considering the time frame in which it was uh, written and published mm-hmm. um, third um, so I recently actually went back to reread um, uh, the story of the Gelbreth family, which is uh, Cheaper by the Dozen 
mm-hmm. and then bells on their toeses, um, which is sort of a, you know, the first and then a follow-up. Um, if you have seen the Steve Martin movie, um, I apologize to the world for that existence of that movie. Oh, no. <laughs> um, this book is nothing like that. It's an amazing story of a family overcoming obstacles and and coming together. And um, you know, it's a true story, so mm. it's 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 really good. I recommend that highly. And then uh, you know, my favorite genre is fantasy, um, and my favorite fantasy novel is The Name of the Wind uh, by Patrick Rothfuss, and I. I'm a rereader. I like to reread books. So I'll reread books over and over again. You know, mm-hmm. the Lord of the Rings comes up, you know, once every two or three years probably. And, you know, just, you know, I, I read fast and so I can read a lot and I can read new stuff and still reread my old things. And I usually have, you know, five things going at once. Um, but The Name of the Wind is beautiful in its language. It has some of the most quotable quotes of any fantasy novel ever Um Anyone can love a thing because that's as easy as putting a penny in your pocket. But to love a thing despite, to know the flaws and love them too, that is rare and pure and perfect. That's a quote from The Name of the Wind. So it's, uh, uh, I will warn people who want to pick it up that it is the first book of a trilogy that looks very likely to never be finished. Um, (laughs) And I think it's worthwhile as its own story. You can read Mm -hmm. that book. You can read even its sequel and just go, okay, and, you know, that's what I got. And it's worthwhile uh, just just for what it is. Um, And then I think that was four, so I'm on five. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, Fifth book that I've read recently, um, Uh, there's a book, I cannot remember the author's name, but the book name is Turn the Ship Around. And uh, it's a leadership book um, that uh, for me was really, really good. Uh, I enjoyed it. I've recommended it to lots of people. Um, I know Ben has read it. Or yes, we listened to it, it in the car on the <laughs> way back and forth to work. I can't think of the author's name either. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's you know, it's a Navy captain that that is, uh, you know, that wrote it. And uh, so it's got lots of really good... Uh, for, for me, leadership books are, you know, I, I, I think that it's valuable to work on yourself, to do self-improvement, to improve your own leadership skills. And I think that reading is a good way to do that. But I find that most traditional leadership books leave me dry and uninterested. And uh, so this is one that has enough story to it to really make it, you know, something that you can digest and you can absorb those lessons because they're being presented in really interesting stories that you get engaged with. And so that's why I love it. Hmm. So philosophical question, does listening to an audiobook count as reading a book? In my book, it absolutely does, yes. Listening to an audiobook definitely counts as reading a book, uh, as long as it, you know, is the unabridged audiobook, right? It's the same words, it's the same, right? You've, you've read that book. I, I think reading in all its forms, whether you're an e-reader or an audiobook reader or a I have to smell the paper or paper <laughs> book reader, and I'm a little bit of all three. So I listen to audiobooks on my way to and from work, and uh, and oftentimes that's where I'll get my leadership books in because, again, I can sort of, you know, I I have nothing else to do. I can't get distracted, and I can I can get through them that way. Even even the ones that are not maybe as engaging, right? I still get that information in. Um, and then you know, I always have a I have two different e-readers on my phone so that I can you know switch to whichever one I'm particularly in the mood for at that moment. And I'll read for five minutes while I'm in line for the movie tickets or hmm. whatever the thing like that is. And then I always have a paper book on my bedside table for reading it at night as I go to sleep. So. Hmm. Now you mentioned all that was in your book. Is your book an audio book, or is it just a mm. the poetry you said, book? You, no, you said in in my book it all counts. Oh, oh yes. <laughs> so is your imaginary book? My book, book is there. a mental book. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So it could be audio. It's my brain if you hear book. himself yeah. talking to himself. <laughs> um, okay, so we had to postpone this conversation because you were so busy not only with work um, but with the production of Susical the Musical. Um, so I know theater is a very big thing for you. You talked earlier about how it's basically kind of been in your family with acting and prop work. Um, 
How do you balance the programming side of your life with the acting dramatic side? Um, well, I mean, when I'm at work, I give all my attention to work. And, and uh, because my whole family is, is engaged in drama and theater, um, you know, that, that is also family time. So uh, uh, both of my sons were in the Seussical production. Um, and it, now it's not children's theater. It's, it's, it is family music theater. It is, you know, it's always safe for the whole family. But it is, you know, a, a very, very uh, well-produced, right, uh, theater company that, that, you know, has a, a history of very, very solid productions that are uh, enjoyable for the whole family, including the adults, mm-hmm. right? And not just the adults, the kids who are in it because they're so cute exactly. and it's their kids. Mm-hmm. Exactly. No, they're they're good. And, and occasionally it'll do plays that aren't necessarily great for kids, mm-hmm. um, but they're safe, meaning, right, that it's been, you know, from, you know, Maybe the, the sexual situations have been toned down, the, you know, the things just so that, you know, a, a parent can feel comfortable that they can take their kid. The kid, it may not be one that the kid will enjoy, but the kid won't be exposed to something that is inappropriate for, for their age. Sure. Um, so. Um, so do each of these talents help the other or is it just a matter of fulfilling different facets of yourself? Uh, definitely different facets. Um, I would say, especially with with the drama, uh, very, very different. And, uh, you know, there's not, uh, I mean, I enjoy acting too. Um, and I've, I've been in, you know, some some of the theater productions of, of family music theater. And I am highly looking forward to this fall's uh, production, which is going to be White Christmas, which mm. is, I'm very excited for. Um, and I will probably audition for that one and, yeah. and be in it if I happen to get get cast. Mm-hmm. Um, should have a large ensemble cast, so I'm crossing my fingers that I'll I'll get lucky. <laughs> I definitely don't want a a primary part. Like I do not want to be a star of it because that's just too much work, and mm-hmm. it is too much work. I actually, um, you know, I I don't want to have so much that it, you know, overflows and is overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you'd be happy pulling the boat across on the fountain in the background. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yes. Just just to be associated a little bit and, and to do that, um, to be in it and say, yes, I was a part of that. Five important questions. Five important, Five questions. important questions. Five important questions. Let's do a lightning round of the five important questions. All right. So question number one is, what would you say is your greatest success in life? Um, well, definitely my children. I mean, it's a trite answer, but nevertheless, it's, it's true. I'm, I'm very proud of, of my children. Um, my daughter uh, just graduated with her associates and is moving on to working on her bachelor's. Um, my son... Um, just got a job as a, a youth pastor, and uh, so he's he's working in the church and ministry, and uh, I'm super proud of both of them. And then I have two that are still at home and still in the course of their learning, one that wants to be a lawyer and one that doesn't know what he wants to be yet. But uh, Maybe a wooden shoe cobbler someday. Maybe. Maybe, or <laughs> maybe a, hermit. a hermit, yeah. Could be a hermit, <laughs> follow in his daddy's footsteps. There you go. <laughs> All right, um, question number two, what is your greatest fear? Mm. So I would say that uh, historically, my greatest fear is is oblivion. Um, it's it's a little silly, right? It's something that you can't avoid. Um, can't can't you know? It either it either will be or it won't be. Um, but nevertheless, uh, you know, over the course of my life, the the thought that it all might end mm. is has been. Uh, a real fear of mine, and and for a period of time where I was uh, denying uh, my Christian faith, uh, it was uh, enhanced many fold because I was looking forward to nothing but oblivion. So the idea of hell never scared me. Like the idea of eternal punishment was, I mean, yeah, that's bad. I don't. Nobody wants to be Maybe punished a eternally. Warm, you know, yeah. but <laughs> but no. But actually, I was way more afraid of stopping existing. Hmm you know, of not continuing. Um, so, yeah, that's my greatest fear. I'm very glad that you also didn't go for the hermit lifestyle as well and you were able to... <laughs> <laughs> overcome that. <laughs> overcome yes. that, yes. 
Um, number three, if you could tell first day at Pointer Rental Robert one piece of advice that would lead to becoming a successful pointer earlier, what would you say? Mm. I would say uh, talk to the folks who have been in rental more. Hmm. That was, I think, uh, you know, a mistake that, that I made early. Now, Evan did not make that mistake, and so fortunately he was able to give me guidance in places where I needed it, but... Um, you know, I wish that I had gone and worked at, you know, rental stop for for a day, hmm. uh, you know, which used to be a thing that every every pointer did back oh. when the two companies were were one, right? Mm-hmm. Then a part of your indoctrination or or induction was to go work at the at the rental store. And for for those of us who have come to point of rental not having worked in the rental industry in any way, shape, or form, I think that that getting that you know on the job sort of experience of what it's like to be in a rental store. Uh, it was hugely helpful to me when we got Lowe's. Uh, I went down there for the grand opening, uh, and and I was there in the rental store helping on the counter, hmm. you know, helping in the back with the maintenance, just, uh, you know, being being a part of that experience of the rental store operations, and, and that was, you know, transformative for me, so. Being able to understand what the daily life is like on a rental store and being able exactly. to transfer that into your work so you can support that better. That makes sense. We should re- look at reinstating that. That sounds cool. Let's go work at a rental store for a day. I've brought it up before. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, question number four. What is your most embarrassing moment as a pointer? Uh, most embarrassing moment as a pointer? I have so many. How am I going to pick <laughs> between them? Um Certainly, so I have this dichotomy where I, I love to perform, but I'm also embarrassed by my performances. Hmm. So um, I would say my uh, karaoke singing is probably my most embarrassing moment. Um, mm. That we have uh, during the happy hours we have yes, occasionally. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> we were doing happy hours. We, we, we would do karaoke. And uh, let's see, I sang uh, the... Uh, Patter song from Music Man Trouble. And uh, yeah, I was going to say, I don't think I was there for that, but I saw the video and I thought it was good. Mm-hmm. I was there in person. I, it was good. I appreciated the enthusiasm. <laughs> yes, I, I definitely. You, you know that karaoke is supposed to be a show. It's the only way I know how to, how to do it is have to go in whole hog. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, well, I'm sorry to tell you, but uh, in you know this world scenario that we have, uh, you have been sentenced to death as being embarrassed by your karaoke performance is now a capital offense. Mm. Sad tears, sobbing in the background. Um, what is your last meal and why? Mm. I'm I'm trying to think of a meal that just lasts forever. <laughs> Uh, you know, just uh, mm. yeah, a a two hundred course tasting menu. Yeah, that's what I'm going for. Of here. liver and onions yeah. that you're like, yeah, yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> Very slow one, but assuming it has to be a single meal, and that we're, you know, it's really about what what's the last thing I want to have on my tongue and taste. Mm. Um, you know, my favorite meal varies from time to time, but certainly a a go to standby is uh, uh, smoked sausage with uh, buttered sautéed spinach and uh, and buttered potatoes. Basically, butter. Lots of lots and lots of butter, butter. with a side of butter. Okay. Yes, exactly. Anything to drink? Um, for me, a good Pinot Noir. Um, okay. Not Mountain Dew. Not We've Mountain Dew. No, I'm that. off the Mountain Dew. I don't <laughs> drink soda anymore. Um, I don't even drink sparkling water anymore mostly Mm -hmm. i mean i'll have the occasional soda and the occasional sparkling water but but i i have shifted to uh hint which is slightly flavored still water it's Mm -hmm. like you know the the aha or the what's what's the the popular one uh i can't think of them bubbly ice or something yeah the the they've got lots of there's lots of brands of flavored water for bubbly waters that uh you know, people like to make jokes about and hint is the only one that has that, but for still water. And I, hmm. uh, 
I drink that, but uh, I definitely enjoy a, a glass of wine with dinner. Um, my uh, family celebrates Shabbat on Friday evenings, and so and uh, we're we're Christian. We're celebrating it in a Christian fashion, um, but but you know, hearkening back to those Jewish roots of the Christian faith, and so. Um, a part of that is always uh, the Lord's Supper, which includes, in in our celebration of it, includes a glass of wine. We are not Southern Baptist, so we're, we're allowed. There you go. <laughs> um, and any dessert with your meal, because you're allowed to have that as well. You know, I'm not much of a dessert person. Mm. Um, I don't like I knew something was off all. about you. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> I, I like candy. I will eat candy, okay. but, I, but I typically, you know, but... If I were going to have a dessert, um, it would probably be uh, an ice cream. I, okay. I enjoy a, a nice gelato or a nice ice cream, maybe a mango gelato. I, mm, I could okay. go for that. Mm, Something that catered good. from Afra in Richardson. Amazing Mediterranean uh, restaurant. It's a mm. bakery with a restaurant sort of built in and as well as uh, uh, gelato and Lovely place. I get a Kawi cheese there for our homemade Lebanese cheese rolls that we make. Hmm. We should have asked you to bring some <laughs> samples in <laughs> for the interview today. I was going to go the opposite way and say, well, you mentioned that it's it's a go-to, but is it your choice for today? Because as soon as we walk out, we have to execute you. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. All right. Um, question number five. Anywho. Um, if you could change one thing about yourself, what would it be? Probably, um, I don't know. I'm, I mean, there are lots of things that I'd love to improve about myself. But, uh, you know, over the years, I've, you know, there, there, there's a time when I would have said my introversion. I'd like to be able to be more comfortable in crowds and more. Um, but, you know, I've mostly overcome that, you know, on my own. I'm still an introvert by nature, and I still, you know, I still don't get my energy from being around those people. But, but uh, and there was probably, uh, you know, a time where I, you know, would have said my hair, uh, get, get back my hair, but I've embraced my baldness. I shave it all the way off now, and I am, I'm happy with that. And uh, so uh, I, I don't. I don't know that I would change anything just artificially. I, I'm, I'm happy to continue to grow naturally. Okay, question number five. Um, what is your spirit spice? Mm. I'm going to go with um, cayenne. Mm. Why is that? Um, because I have no idea how spices relate to spirit, but I love <laughs> cayenne pepper. And I put it on almost everything. I will, you know, my sons will make spaghetti and I'm like, okay, bring me the cayenne. <laughs> All oh over the spaghetti, just after the fact. I, I like heat. And uh, so uh, it was definitely more of a food-based answer than a spirit-based answer, <laughs> but it's the best I can do. It's great. It's good. All right. Well, thank you, Robert, for chatting today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed it. Um, send Robert some love this week. Send him an email, maybe a gif of your favorite musical. Maybe. Um, or anything that you just want to send him a gif of that you just thought is silly and want to start a conversation with him. Um, just be epic and let him know that you care. Thanks for listening today. We'll keep the porch light burning for you.